good morning or, or good afternoon or good evening or good night, depending on where you're watching this at or listening to this from. Uh, but regardless, if, if you're able, if you would go ahead and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, we're going to be in chapter 1. Again, you're probably wondering how long we're going to be in chapter 1 for. This is our third sermon from this chapter, and I think even after this sermon, we'll only be about, uh, about halfway through 1 Peter chapter 1. It's just so rich and so uh, dense with, with information and with truth about God and truth about us that are so relevant to, to even our current times. So I think that's why we're just kind of really taking it slow and really kind of trying to see what God has to teach us through this text. But as you turn there to 1 Peter chapter 1, I wanted to, to ask if, if you've been kind of hearing the same things that I've been hearing on, on TV and on the radio, and that's just that people, even worldly people, even people who may not be Christians, everyone seems to have high expectations of what the outcome of our current pandemic is going to be. No one is really being dreadful about this. Everyone is saying, you know, we, we should only be a little bit longer or, or we're going to get through this or speaking some kind of positivity or, or hopefulness. You know, we're going to have a vaccine coming out soon, those kind of things. They're all things you could have heard. Um, and if you listen to press conferences on, on TV or you listen to radios, those are the kind of things that you hear. You hear people being positive and hopeful during our current times. And that's a good thing. But I wanted to point out, though, is that being hopeful and being positive during tribulation and during trials, during a pandemic, isn't an exclusively Christian thing. It's not exclusively Christian to have hope. But the difference is where our hope lies. The difference is where our hope lies, what we have faith, what we have hope in. That is the difference that you'll see between Christians and the world. Because the world is only going to hope in, in worldly things. The world is only going to hope in an economic recovery or a, a, a vaccine being implemented or uh, social measure, measures that we have tried uh, to use to, to kind of keep the virus from spreading. And those are all really good things. Those are things that we can hope for. I myself hope that the economy gets better. I hope that uh, a vaccine is approved and, and works quickly. And I hope that social measures uh, work to keep us um, safe, even as we try to reopen. But what we're going to see is that we're hoping are ultimately hoping anyways in something far greater than those things. We're hoping in something far greater than those things. Verse 3 from what Matt read last week in 1 Peter chapter 1 says that uh, we have been called, or He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So our hope is living. It is based on Jesus Christ and His resurrection from the the dead. And while we're not exactly talking about hope this morning, it certainly is relevant to, to what we're going through. It's relevant to First Peter. Um, as we've kind of titled this sermon series, uh, Letters to a Scattered Flock. The idea that we're getting at is that Peter is writing to Christians who, even though they're in a much different situation than we are, they're scattered. Just like we're scattered today. Just like you're unable to be here with me today as, as I preach and, and read. And so what we see, though, is that as he writes, as he is 
talking to Christians who are in a, a tough situation, one of the main things that he keeps coming back to is this idea of suffering. And he relates the idea of, of our suffering back to Jesus' suffering. That's where our focus is going to be today is on, on kind of what we see here in this passage. So let's go ahead and read in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for uh, this time that we have to open your word. I pray that you would bless this time, regardless of, of where we are and, and when people are hearing it. Dear God, I pray that you would uh, bless the time that we have to, to hear it and uh, to receive your word, that we might be molded by it, dear God, that we'd be encouraged by it, dear God, and that we'd be made more like your son. I always to pray in your gracious and holy name. Amen. So as we work through this, even though we're going to talk a lot about suffering a lot about trials, a lot about what we're currently going through. What I want our emphasis to be on, what I want our focus to be on, isn't the suffering themselves, but rather what they lead to. What they lead to. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 again, and look at verse 7. It says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the result then of suffering, the main thing that I want us to focus on is glory. This result that Peter describes is the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that, I would argue, is the end to all means. That is the goal. That is what all things are working towards. So as we read this passage, I want us to see three ways in which suffering leads to glory. Three ways in which suffering leads to glory. And while we're going to talk a lot about trials and, and sufferings, I want us to focus on the glory that comes from those things. And then more specifically than that, I want us to focus on the glorification of Jesus through those things. Not just glory in general, but the glorification of Jesus. This seems to be Peter's goal, not only in this passage, but in the rest of his letter, is to glorify Jesus and to talk about suffering, but only as a means to point to glorification. And as we work back through this passage, we aren't going to kind of go in the order that we read, like I, kind of how I typically would break a sermon down. 
Instead, we're going to kind of work backwards, but the way we're working is actually working from the most fundamental truth, the most fundamental way that suffering leads to glory, and then building off of that to other ways that Peter mentions. So first, and like I said, most fundamentally, I would argue, is that suffering leads to glory through Jesus' death and resurrection. We see this in verse 10 and 11. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, and then hear this, and the subsequent glories. So he only seems to be referencing this kind of in a passing manner, but, but even though it's in that kind of manner, I think it's important that we pause here and that we kind of think about what he is saying about Jesus' suffering and glories, even if it is in passing because of the nature of this letter and the nature even of what we're going through now. Notice how he describes the glory of Jesus or the, the glories of Jesus. He says they are subsequent. That is that they are behind something in time. They follow something else in the order of time. And so then what is it that he says that Jesus' glory is subsequent to? His suffering. The glory of Jesus then, I would say, is a result of his own suffering. It is the fruit of it in a way. How is this the case? How is this true? What he says about Jesus' glory and suffering, like I said, is kind of brief and it's kind of in passing, but, but let's look at the context and look again at that kind of paragraph that he puts it in. And ultimately what he's getting at is that the prophets, that they were, what they were writing and what they were prophesying, as verse 12 puts it, was not serving themselves, but was serving you. That's what he says to his people who he's writing to here and kind of what he's saying to us. Is that what they were writing about wasn't for themselves, but for you. And then he goes on kind of to explain that what they were prophesying wasn't about uh, the birth, or as it was about the birth of Jesus, and, and it references kind of the suffering of Jesus. But notice, notice what Peter says about what they prophesy in verse 10. Notice what he says about it in verse 10. He says, they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. So as the, the prophets, and, and kind of one example is, Isaiah 53, he's writing about the suffering of Jesus, but then what Peter summarizes that is, is he says, now they're talking about grace. And I think that what Peter says there helps us draw the connection from Jesus' suffering to his glory. And that connection, I would say, is grace. Because what was accomplished at the cross and, and even through his entire life and death and resurrection was grace. It was grace like had never been seen before. It was grace that would have blown the minds of the prophets. It was, even as verse 12 says, something that angels long to look into. So when we ask, how is it that, that this can lead to glory? How is it that his suffering can lead to his glorification? We know first and foremost that it leads to his glorification through the resurrection and the ascension and his being at the right hand of God. But in addition to that, he's glorified through what he accomplished at the cross, what he accomplished through his suffering, and that was grace. That's what Peter is getting at when he says that, that they were prophesying about the grace that was to be yours. They weren't just prophesying about the, the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They were prophesying about grace. 
and then to accomplish this grace through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is glorifying to God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 26 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So through the gift of grace that was made available by what was accomplished at the cross, God's righteousness is put on full display. God's righteousness is made apparent to see because He is the just and the justifier. He is the standard that has to be met, and He is the one who gives us a way to meet that standard. At the cross and through Jesus, God's mercy and His grace and His justness are made more apparent than ever, and through that, He is glorified. So the first and most fundamental way that suffering leads to glory is through Jesus' own suffering. And through that, He was glorified because of His resurrection. And it was there in which He accomplished grace and where He paid the price for the gift of grace that we could receive. The second way that suffering leads to glory is when we put our faith in Jesus. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the joy that, that Peter says comes from believing in Jesus, he describes it in two ways. One, that it is inexpressible, and two, that it is filled with glory. So the reason that I said Jesus' glorification through His suffering and His death and His resurrection was most fundamental is because without that, we can't have this. Without Jesus first suffering and, and then being glorified, we wouldn't have anyone to put our belief in because we wouldn't rejoice in Jesus if He hadn't first died for us. We wouldn't love Him if He hadn't first loved us. Jesus, so then Jesus is glorified through our faith and through our salvation. That's what He came to earn. He is glorified through it. And we can only have that through His suffering. So that's why I think we can say that the second way that suffering leads to glory is when we put our faith in Jesus. Because on the basis of His suffering that we can even do that, that we can even have salvation. So one of the passages that Peter could have been referencing earlier when he was talking about the prophets is Isaiah chapter 53. And it's in that passage that we hear the very familiar words that say, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So our salvation then is a result of Jesus's suffering. Our salvation is a result of Jesus' suffering. And then ultimately, our salvation brings glory back to Jesus. Look again back to what Peter said in verse 8. It says, The result of belief in Jesus is joy. And that he describes that then as inexpressible and filled with glory. That glory that he's talking about there, I think he is meaning glory to Jesus. And then also in verse 8, he reminds us of something important 
about our belief in particular that we believe without ever having seen Jesus. That's not very particular to us now because none of us have seen Jesus physically. But for Peter, this is something that he points out. See, Peter saw Jesus with his own eyes. Peter had his feet washed by Jesus. Peter witnessed witnessed miracles that Jesus performed. Peter got to physically see and touch Jesus. So that's why he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And so I think that there's something particularly glorifying to Jesus when people who have never seen him put their faith in him. Listen to Jesus' own words in John 20, 29, after talking to Thomas, who we call Doubting Thomas because he refused to believe uh, what Jesus had, had done, that, that it was Jesus, uh, until he had some kind of proof. But when he finally believed, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? And he says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This isn't to discredit the apostles and anyone who saw Jesus uh, it's not to discredit their belief, but I do think there is something particularly honoring and glorifying to Jesus when people who have never laid their eyes on him, people who have never physically seen him or witnessed the proofs that the apostles saw put their faith in him. So one, suffering leads to glory when it, because it has led to, to Jesus' resurrection and to his grace being accomplished at the cross. Secondly, suffering leads to glory when we put our faith in Jesus who, who accomplished those things at the cross. And then thirdly, suffering leads to glory when we persevere with faith through trials. Suffering leads to glory when we persevere with faith through trials. As we've been working our way back through the text, starting kind of at the end and working back up to the top, look at verse 6 and 7 again. It says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when we walk through a trial or suffering and when we do it with faith, the result is glory. And Peter kind of explains that the reason this is isn't because the suffering in themselves is good. It's because the result is good. It's because of what they produce. He, he explains that they're not frivolous uh, sufferings and trials. They're not pointless. In fact, they serve two very important purposes. The first is that they test our faith. That's kind of exactly what Peter says. They, they test our faith. They test the genuineness of it. And most people who have gone through some sort of serious trial would, I'm sure, agree to that 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 trial was, was faith testing. Because it's easy to have faith when things are good, right? I and mean, that's, that's easy. But it's a lot more difficult when, when the rubber meets the road, when we, have, when we go through some sort of hardship, when we lose a loved one, when we get some kind of bad diagnosis. Any of those kind of things really test our faith because then that's when we see, or when we go through something like we're going through right now, we, we start to see what we're really relying on what we're really putting our faith in. And so in that way, trials test us to show if we're really putting our trust in Jesus or if we're putting it in something else. But think also for a minute about what Peter says about 
the trials. He compares them to gold that is tested by fire. So this gives us kind of another look into a different purpose of trials. And when he says that uh, it's more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, I think he's kind of showing us something about another purpose of suffering. If you didn't know this before today, don't feel bad because I didn't know it until I looked it up this week, but gold can actually be refined by fire. That's kind of what he's getting at when he says tested by fire. So gold can be, uh, can be heated up to a point to where it is uh, liquefied, and then once it's in that state, you can add some kind of chemical to it, and the process that that creates is that it makes the impurities in the gold dissolve, and the gold has then been refined. What's left after that process is pure gold, or at least more pure gold than was before. So in that sense, the testing of gold made it better, made it more pure gold. The gold in itself may have lost some weight because it it lost some impurities, but what's left is more pure gold, more valuable gold. So then our faith, which Peter is kind of comparing to that, and he tells us it's actually more precious than gold, I think is tested in a similar way. It's not just indicative. It, it, It is that. It is indicative of our faith and where our faith lies. But more than that, I think trials are refining our faith. When we go through trials, they don't just test it, they refine it. They help us get rid of impurities in our own life, much like you would gold by fire. And I think they do that by drawing our attention to God, by pointing us to God, making us draw near to God. Think about our current situation. It's certainly a trial, I would say, for, for all people. And for some people, it's, it's a much worse trial than others. Uh, but think about all the things that we've lost, things that may seem uh, pointless to things that seem really important. We've lost uh, all of our activities, things that we like to do, movie going, uh, eating out. Those are the two things that I like to do, um, shopping in malls and in shopping centers. Uh, we've lost job security. A lot of people have lost tons of money in the stock market and in retirement accounts. In some cases, it's kind of getting the more important thing. People haven't been able to see their family members, uh, people who work in places where they're more at risk, and then people who themselves are more at risk may not have been able to see family members for this, this large amount of time. We've lost security in our own health. You know, think about before this, you'd never have worn a mask or gloves to go into a Walmart, but now that's the norm for us right now. And so we've lost security in our own health. And with all that we've temporarily lost, we get to look into our lives and see what do our lives look like without all those external material things. I know some of those things aren't necessarily material, but, but a lot of it is. A lot of it isn't, isn't necessary to, to day-to-day life or necessary to our faith. So what, what does our life look like without those things? Does our life just all of a sudden completely empty, or do we see that we're still standing on our faith in God. So it's a chance for us to look back and say, was I leaning on those things? Was I leaning on my job security? Was I leaning on my finances? Was I leaning on my family members, getting to be with them and see them? Or was I leaning on God? So it's a chance for us to be tested and to, to ask ourselves, where is my faith? Is it in God or is it in this other thing? But then secondly, it's a chance, like we said earlier, for us to be refined, for us to be refined 
Uh, a lot of us have more time than we normally would. We're working from a different environment, so we're able to work differently and perhaps even different hours, or you're not working at all. And during this time, you may be able to, to, to dig into God's Word. Um, that's one way that you could be refined. I'll tell you one way that I think I'm being refined by this is uh, how much I'm going to appreciate when we get to gather together again. Because I tell you what, I really miss that. And I'm sure y'all do too. I really miss getting to see y'all here and getting to preach, not to, to paper with your names on it, but to, to you and to see you and to see um, everybody on, on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and to get to be together and to gather together and to pray together. That was one of the things that I began to love so much was our Wednesday night meetings where we prayed with one another and we did so closely together together. Uh, and just to hear people praying for you and, and just to pray for other people is such a blessing. And so that's one way that, that I myself will be refined here in this is to appreciate that gathering. Not that I didn't appreciate it before, but I think I'll have a deeper appreciation that I think will last a lifetime. And I imagine some of you will too, because we've never gone through something like this where we couldn't be together. And so there's all kinds of, of ways that we can be refined during this time, that our faith can be refined we can dig into God's Word more than we might be able to in other times. We've, we've shed off things that, that are deemed unnecessary, like going to the movies. And so we can use that time to really devote it to God and to prayer and to reading His Word. Uh, we've also been able to learn other ways to communicate with believers. We've written letters to each other and given those kind of gifts and those kind of things. And so I think in a lot of ways, our faith is going to come out stronger and more refined at the end of this but then the end result of all of this, even beyond the idea of testing our faith and refining our faith, the end result of suffering and trials, as what Peter says in verse 7, if you want to glance there, is the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That is the point of all this. And so then one, one quick question is this. It says, the praise, glory, and honor. I want to ask, Whose glory? Whose praise? Whose honor? The first two points that we talked about, Jesus was the one who suffered, and then Jesus was the one who was glorified. And this third idea is that, that we're suffering, we're going through trials in different ways throughout the entirety of our life, and, and that leads to glory. But whose glory? Does it lead to, to our glory, or does it lead to Jesus' glory? Romans eight seventeen even says, talking about children of God, it says, And if children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. So there is a sense in which our glorification, or our, excuse me, our suffering with Jesus will lead to our glorification even with Him. In heaven, we're going to have glorified bodies. Later in 1 Peter, we're going to read about this, this gift we'll receive from God that's, that's an unfading crown of glory gift that I think it's somewhat of an, an extra gift for our faithfulness, as much as we don't deserve it. Um, but even knowing that, knowing that one day we're going to have renewed and glorified bodies, and knowing that we're going to receive this crown of, uh, of unfading glory, knowing all that, we know one thing is that all that is to be given back to God. Any glory that we receive is, is for God's glory alone. Revelation chapter 4 shows this picture of, of saints who are laying down crowns at the feet of God, at the throne of God. And so 
I thank any glory that we receive, any crown that we receive for our work here on this earth. We'll take that and we'll lay it down at the feet of Jesus to glorify him even more. And so the one who is to receive praise and honor and glory that we read about in this first part of this passage is Jesus himself. Because only God is worthy of those things. And as we close, I want us to, again in verse 6, I want you to look to the very first words of this passage. We've been working through this kind of backwards, so it makes sense for us to end with the last, uh, with the first four words of this passage. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. To know what the this is that he's talking about, you have to back up a couple of verses because it's another Long sentence. We're going to have to read kind of the the whole sentence. So look at verse 3, starting with the sentence that says, According. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then hear this. In this you rejoice. So the rejoicing then is based on that. We're not being told to rejoice because of the suffering. We rejoice at the result of it, but no one is telling you to be happy about what's going on right now, to be happy when, when something terrible happens to you. What we're being told is that we can rejoice, not in those things, but in truths that we already know that get us through those things. So the truth that we need to know to get through trials is that we're being kept by God's power. We're being guarded. That's what we need to know to have faith during a trial. We need to know that Jesus has not only died on the cross, but has been resurrected and that we have a living hope in Him. That is the source for us getting through suffering. And if our hope is truly in Him, then we will come, we'll go through trials and, and sufferings with our faith intact and we will be refined like gold that makes us more like Christ. And in doing so, we're bringing glory to Him. So as I said earlier, the glorification of God, it is the end to all means. It's the only thing that is important in this life. Because at the end of this life, it won't matter what kind of things we have, what kind of house we have or how many cars we have, how much money we have. The only things that will matter is what we have done in order to bring glory to God. And we do that first and foremost by putting our faith in Him. And then after that, we continue to glorify God by trusting Him through all trials and suffering in every part of life and by living in obedience to Him. And that's how we continually give glory to God. So if you've never put your trust in Jesus you can't glorify God without having done that first. That is the starting line. That is where a life of glorifying God begins, is at putting your faith in Jesus. So if that's you, if you've never done that, I would, I would encourage you to reach out to, to me or Matt. We would love to talk to you and, and pray with you. Um, and if you are in Christ, then, this, uh, then let trials not be something that, that causes you to doubt God, not something that causes you to turn away from God, but let trials be something uh, because you go through them with such faith that they refine your faith and make you uh, stronger in your faith, having been tested. Let's pray. 
Dear God, we thank you for your word. We ask now that you would um, be with us as we're facing all kinds of different uh, trials, especially what's going on right now, and, and then just with trials that we face from day to day with, with losing loved ones, dear God, with uh, sicknesses, dear God, with all different kinds of things that we go through. Help us that, that you would give us strength to go through those things, dear God, that we wouldn't we wouldn't lose faith, dear God, but that our faith would be refined through those trials and through those sufferings, dear God, that, that ultimately uh, our actions during this time and any time, dear God, would ultimately glorify you. All these things are prayed in your gracious and holy name. Amen.